Glad you're here. We are uh, in the second week of a series called The Great Objective. We're looking at the big picture of what God wants us to do with our lives. I was thinking this week how, you know, sometimes you have a word that you use kind of all the time and in a lot of different situations. Cool can be a word like that. Like, you know, you, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, cool. Then in a conversation, every once in a while, cool, cool, cool. I, I don't know. I've, I've done that. You, know, you get these words. Uh, whatever the latest word is, when I was younger, stoked was one of those. <laughs> I'd get stoked on waves. I'd get stoked about the football game coming up. I'd just be stoked. Oh, man, that, that's, I'm stoked about that. That's really cool. You know, we, get, we get these words, and we start you radical. Oh, that's radical. Jeepers, creepers. Or awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. You know, if everything's awesome, nothing's really awesome. But, you know, everything's awesome sometimes. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad about that. You know, that is awesome. And we, we also have phrases that we use that are good to use, actually. I love you is a good phrase. But, you know, talking on the phone, hey, love you, bye. We, we forget the substance sometimes behind these kinds of phrases. We, we tend to say them sometimes as an auto-response, and we're not thinking about the substance of what we're trying to communicate. Uh, so it's really lost meaning for all intents and purposes. Now, I grew up in church, and one of the things, you know, that you say if you're trying to follow Christ is, I want to live for God's glory. I want to do this to the glory of God. For a long time, I didn't really know what that meant, but I wanted to do it. I, I, this is for God's glory. This is for him. You know? And you sort of know kind of what that means. You kind of get a glimpse of what it's talking about, what the phrase means, but uh, not quite sure. In this series, what we're trying to do is give the substance behind that, that phrase, living for the glory of God. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out how to put feet to that. And so that's what we're doing. Last week, we started off by looking at the fact that the great objective for my life and your life is to bring glory to God in what I do and the way I do it. You know, it's almost impossible. I've actually never tried to put a puzzle together without looking at the picture on the box. Almost impossible. It's just as difficult, maybe more so, to try to put life together without seeing the big picture. So what we're doing in this series We're looking at the big picture, and we're trying to figure out what that means practically for uh, our everyday lives, and how do we live these to glorify God. Uh, to, To glorify God and what I do and the way I do it means that I build my life to honor him, I grow my relationships in love, and I make it my ambition to be a disciple or a follower of Christ and to make disciples. This is This is what it means. These are the different phrases. Today we're looking at building our life to honor God. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I hated chores. I I hated chores on a level that might be unmatched by many other people. I can remember many times when I was mowing the lawn and, you know, the the lawn and the weeds were very high because I hadn't done it in a while. I could just be thinking, I can't believe my dad's making me do this. It was not on my to-do list. It was on my dad's to-do list. I had no vision for helping the family out whatsoever, and I was just, I hated it. I mean, I, 
I overhauled two car engines, piece by piece, part by part, and took them apart, rebuilt it, under my dad's direction the whole time, seething that I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do, just seething, really upset that my dad was cramping my style by asking me to rebuild this this engine. So therefore, because of my great attitude, sarcastic comment, um, I know nothing about cars hardly. I mean, I know very little. I've, I've overhauled two engines. I should have been learning, but no, I was upset. I had a bad attitude. Well, this attitude carried me into uh, my adult life until I gained some perspective from the scripture that I'm going to share with you today that I think will really help you as you set out to live for him. It's my attitude, you could say it's been radically improved <laughs> as a result of getting this perspective. So we're going to go back to the beginning of time, back to creation, to see what God wants us to do with our lives. And what you find in Genesis 1 is that God made us to resemble him and rule over his world. You may not have known that. It's what you find. God, God made us to resemble him and rule over his world. In Genesis 1... God starts out, it shows the flow of how he made the, the, the world, the planet. He created light, the heavens, the land, the sea, plants that bear grain, plants that bear fruit, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, creatures who live in the water, those who live in the air, animal life, small and large. In the first five days of his work of creation, that's what he created. And on the sixth day, he made people. And in the way he talks about making people, you find out how special people are in the scheme of things. There's no better word. We're, we're, we're really special. Sounds like something you'd say to your toddler. You know, you're really special. But we really are. There's no better word. Let's look at Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, everything else that was made to this point, God spoke about the thing itself as he was making it or what part of creation that it was connected to. So like the grass would grow out of the land. That was connect. That's, that's how he, he talked about it. But when he talks about people, you see a connection to himself that doesn't exist in the rest of creation. So you begin to get a clue at how important human beings are in the order of creation. People are connected to God like nothing else like no other part of creation. God made us with the ability to relate to him. We're made in his image. We have the ability to relate to him like nothing else. This is a clue to our value. If we could see ourselves as God does, we'd be blown away by how important we are to him. We, we really would be blown away by how special we are in his eyes. Verse 28 says, God bless them. This is what God wants to do in our lives. 
He wants it to go well for us. He wants us to enjoy it. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every creature, every living creature that moves on the ground. In this passage, God seeded all legitimate activities. He, he, he planted the seed. This is a seed for family life. We're to be fruitful and multiply. We're to, to, to have families. We're, uh, to, he seeded science and technology in this passage, exploration. I read one guy this week. He said, you know, men, one, one of the, the ways that you see the sway of man over creation is how he uses the rivers as his highway. You know, we've, we've created boats. We've come up with planes. We, we've figured out how to use the resistance of the air to get lift. We've had agricultural advances. Uh, ecology is wrapped up in this, in this command. God gave us the basic stuff of creation, and we build on it, or we do the upkeep. That's what you find in this passage. Education is here in this passage. If, if we're going to keep exploring and expanding, it's important for one generation to tell the next what they've learned. It's important to, to, to get a grip on this. So it's, it's crucial to learn so we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. I mean, that would really be a drag, wouldn't it? To just, okay, how can I get rolling here? Oh, a wheel. Um, work is wrapped up in here, recreation. This means, what this means in this command is God doesn't fit in some kind of religious compartment. He doesn't fit in some kind of spiritual box that we put him in, but he is over all of life. He, he's, he's over it all. And he's interested in all of life. He's not just interested in some religious or spiritual slice of us, but he's interested in every part of us and every day of our week. So here are two specific things we get out of this passage. First of all, the image of God in us gives value and ability. Um, we were made in God's image. Uh, we were made to rule in God's image. Being a, made in the image of God doesn't mean that we are little gods, or it doesn't mean that God has a body <clears throat> like we do. He's spirit. You find out in Scripture that he is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. But it means that we are persons like him. We have personality. We, we have personhood. We have a mind to think, emotions to feel, a will to make decisions, a spiritual nature to know and worship and relate to God. Human beings are on a different level than the rest of creation. As you scan creation, we're on a level, as you read through Genesis 1, we're on a level that is above all of creation, everything in this world. People are extremely valuable to God. You see this in Genesis 1. Everybody who has ever been made is valuable to God. Something you get from this. He gave us the value when he made us. And we are equipped to rule. We are equipped to gain dominion. Now, he gave us the ability to do that when he made us in his image. This is the foundation for a healthy self-image. If you want to gain a healthy self-image and grow in your understanding of your worth as a person, you go back to God. You go back to him and learn from him and see what he says. You look at yourself the way he does. 
Our self-worth should grow out of the value God gives us because he gives us a tremendous amount. You know, we really can't convince ourselves. I don't know if you've ever tried to convince yourself. There's a skit on a TV show way back where a guy would stand in the mirror and say, you know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You know, he'd try to convince himself. You really can't convince yourself because your value and mine is derived from God. We start out with it. Being born gives us that value. If we could just see it. One of the reasons we can't see it is because we've lost our kingship uh, over the world when we rebelled. Adam and Eve, first man and woman, they rebelled against God. God made them, put them in this world. He gave them responsibility, and he gave them some boundaries. They busted through the boundaries. And because of that rebellion, they lost their kingship. We've stamped our approval on what they've done, and we as well have lost our ability to rule. So now, I mean, not our ability, but we've lost the, the, the position of ruler to Satan, to the enemy, the one who tempted them. So now he, the scripture talks about him being the ruler of this world. It's all under God. God's really in charge. He's in control. He's over it all. So we don't need to be afraid of the enemy or Satan, but he's still got a lot of sway. We gave that to him when we decided to rebel. Anyway, this is why the issue of origins is so important. Where did we come from? You know, we've been told that we haven't been created by anyone that we've just sort of evolved as a process. And if you and I have evolved as a process, that's why if you haven't settled this issue, ask questions. There are answers. Pursue this issue of are we evolved by a process, an impersonal force of some kind? Are we made by a living God who loves us and gives us this value? Crucial decision to make. Because if we've just evolved by processes over time, then you and I aren't any more important than a lizard or a dolphin. Dolphins are cool. I've surfed with dolphins. I mean, they are cool. But if I've just evolved, then I'm no more important than a dolphin. They're cool, but they're definitely a lower form of life than a human being. Definitely different. And this sense that we're just a biological machine it doesn't resonate deep down inside of us. Because even though we're told that, and even though we, we learn this and we're taught about this theory, it doesn't resonate because we know we're more than just a biological machine. We know it. We know there's more to us. We've been made by someone who's put a desire in our hearts to know him. And that's what resonates. We know that we've been given this command and this ability to rule and get dominion because that's what we do. It's what people try to do. We've been given a piece of the world, a patch of the world, to get dominion over. And so this command gives direction and meaning to all of life, not not just some kind of religious church part, but all of life. Genesis 1.28 says, we're to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. A major way that we honor God is we take the seed of ability he's given us, and we develop and nurture and cultivate it so that it becomes a full-blown plant that bears the kind of fruit or flower that God wants. 
That's how we honor him. God made trees, but he didn't make cabinets. He made rubber, but not tires. He made electricity, but not light bulbs or computers. You see, all of this is wrapped up in this command to take the stuff he's made and add to it. That's, that's the sense from the Hebrew. This was written in Hebrew originally. That's the sense you get. You take the existing material and you add to it. And, and you, you work with it. To get dominion means to tread down, literally, which carries the idea of uh, keeping it under control. To subdue means to bring into bondage. And some places in the Bible it's translated as footstool. So the idea is you, you make creation, you take what God's made, and you, you make it serve you. you. You use it for the good of the people around you. You harness it to serve people. To subdue the earth is to make it your servant. And, and that's, that's what we, we're to do. It means that everything we do, we can do it in a way that pleases God. Everything that's legitimate, everything that's honorable that we set out to do, we can do it in a way that pleases God. He doesn't live in a compartment, but he's interested in every aspect of our lives. This means if you have babies, you can change diapers to the glory of God. <laughs> God... God wants you to be investing in them and taking care of them. He wants us, if, if you uh, live in a house, you're responsible for the upkeep. He's, he thinks that's great. Mow the lawn. This is the perspective I needed. <laughs> Mow the lawn to the glory of God. He would much prefer that your, your landscape look, look beautiful than be overrun and be a disgrace in the eyes of the neighbors. This is very important to him. All of life, everything, mopping floors, you brush your teeth to the glory of God. Floss, I hate flossing, but floss to the glory of God. I can still do that, trying to take care. I'd like to have my teeth as long as I can, so I floss. The work we do is also very important, even the chores. Even the chores, it's very important to God. God gives us a little patch of the world, and he wants us to get dominion and subdue it. He wants, it to ma- he wants us to make it useful for us and for others around. Jesus told a story, and he shows us in the story how to honor God. The parable of the talents is a story. It's actually in your program. The whole thing is written out, and I'd like to read through that with you. I didn't want to put it on the screen. I thought it would be easier just to have that in your program so you could read through it with me. Um, but he, he makes some great points that clue us into how do we honor God as we build our lives. Uh, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. One, once there was a man who was about to leave home on a trip, he called his servants and put them in charge of his property. Now, this is what God's done with us. He's given us life and breath and everything else we have. We sang about that a little earlier. The people listening also would have known, as they heard Jesus start to tell this story, and when he says that the master gave them his property to take care of, they would understand that this is a tremendous opportunity for them because there would be an informal agreement that they would share in his profits if they did well and they pleased him, they would share 
and the prophets that they made. They, they, they got this. This is how it was done in this day. So this is quite an opportunity for them. Now, he says he gave to each one according to his ability. To the one he gave 5,000 gold coins, coins to another 2,000, and to another he gave uh, 1,000. Then he left on his trip. Now, this was very generous. In, in the original Greek, it was written in what Jesus actually said, which might have been Aramaic. I'm not quite sure, but um, it, it says he gave one five talents, one two talents, and to the other he gave one talent. A talent, one guy estimated that a talent was 15 years wages for one of these workers. 15 years wages. So this was very, very generous, This what this master has done. The servant who had received 5,000 coins went out at once and invested his money and earned another 5,000. In the same way, the servant who had received 2,000 coins earned another 2,000. But the servant who had received 1,000 coins went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now remember, these characters in the story are servants. They're slaves. And there is no shot at any kind of life for them except for the generosity of the master. Except for that, they wouldn't have any kind of life. No opportunity. In the same way, God has given us our lives. And we have all that we have because he's decided we have it. Every opportunity, every aspect of our lives, all the things that we have, our mind, our talents, our money, our our possessions, everything, it's, it's an amazing gift from God. It says in 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The servant who had received 5,000 coins came in and handed over the other 5,000. You gave me 5,000 coins, sir, he said. Look, here's another 5,000 that I have earned. Well done, you good and faithful servant, said his master. You have been faithful in managing small amounts, so I will put you in charge of large amounts. Come on in and share my happiness. Circle, if you don't mind marking up that paper, circle verses 21 and 23, because the master says the same thing to the both servants who increased what was given, who were faithful with what he did. God celebrates faithfulness. This tells us a lot about how to honor him in the way we live. Then the servant who had been given 2,000 coins came in and said, you gave me 2,000 coins, sir. Look, here are another 2,000 that I have earned. Well done. You good and faithful servant, said his master. You have been faithful in managing small amounts, so I will put you in charge of large amounts. Come on in and share my happiness. Same thing, he said earlier. Then the servant who had received 1,000 coins came in and said, Sir, I know that you are a hard man. You reap harvests where you did not plant. You gather crops where you did not scatter seed. I was afraid, so I went off and hid your money in the ground. Look, here is what belongs to you. The servant shifted the blame to the master for burying what he had given him. Notice how he shifted the blame. Well, I knew you were like this, so I was afraid, and I decided to bury this stuff so that I could keep it from being lost and stolen so I could give it back to you. That's not what, that's not what the master wanted. He, he should have known him better and should have known that. You bad and lazy servant, his master said. God, God expects you to do your best to build on what he's given you. Laziness certainly does not give God glory. 
and honor. You knew, did you, that I reap harvests where I did not plant and gather crops where I did not scatter seed? Well, then, you should have deposited my money in the bank, and I would have received it all back with interest when I returned. Now take the money away from him and give it to the one who has 10,000 coins. For to every person who has something, even more will be given, and he will, he will have more than enough. But the person who has nothing, even the little that he has, will be taken away from him. As for this useless servant, throw him outside in the darkness. There he will cry and gnash his teeth. Now here are three themes in this parable that we need to get a grasp of. And I'm just going to, I think they'll makes sense to you, so I'm just going to mention them. The master is extremely generous. This is how God is. He has given us. If we live in America, wow. What has he given us? I mean, we are blessed. And this is true for everyone on the face of the earth. He holds his servants accountable. He's going to come back and settle accounts. We need to realize the stuff we have, the things we've been given, this life and all that goes with it, he holds us accountable. For, for how we're using it. Finally, he's going to give a fantastic reward to the faithful. Jesus leaves no doubt how we honor God. He is pleased with faithfulness. I read another name for this parable this week. The story of the sin of unrealized potential. So it's a good description. God has given us a mind, time, energy, talents, Money, possessions, if you want to honor God, don't bury them. Use them for his purpose. Do your best to build with them. And that's what brings us to this point. I honor God when I'm faithful to build. We build three things. His kingdom, a house, and a story to tell. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. That's, that's us. We're put in charge. We're, our, our focus as we handle life is to set our hearts on being faithful with it. Now, it's interesting. The Hebrew word for son is ben, B-E-N. The Hebrew word for daughter is beg, B-E-T-H. They are from the same root word benah, B-A-N-A-H. And it refers to the builder of the family name or house. That, that's what, so here's the idea. The first man and woman, they have children, and they were sons and daughters. They were builders. They were to build the family name and the house. We're all sons and daughters. We, we exist to build in this life, to increase, to grow what God's given us, Now, we need to be faithful to build three things. First of all, his kingdom. When you decide to follow Christ, what does the scripture tell you? It tells you that you become a child of God, a son or a daughter of the living God. So what are we to do? We're to build his family name. We're to build his house. The primary way you do that is through the church, through through a group of people who are working together to extend God's rule in their lives and in the life of those around them and in the world. That's what it means. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. Simple simple as that. It's the rule of God in our hearts and in our lives, in the way we live. 
We use the stuff God has given us so generously to expand his rule, to do our best to expand his rule. Our mind, our money, our possessions, our time, our energy, our talents. The primary way we extend the kingdom is to work together to to, uh, help others come to know about him, to meet their needs, to love them, and then to help them be introduced to who he is. That's, that's how we extend it. We work together to do this. Secondly, we're to build a house. Uh, in the scriptures, included the perspective of this day was that your house is like, your household would include you, your immediate family, your family, your work, your estate. It would include a lot of things. So in the scriptures, we're to build our family in the home arena. You can read the passages later. We also build our house by making the right kind of process, progress in our work, the work arena, and in building an estate. Now, that, that may, you may not think about building an estate very often. You read sometimes about people who leave a huge estate, and that gathers newsworthy attention. Um, but God wants us to develop our ability to create wealth. Now, that, you might not have ever thought of that, but it's not so we can spend it, hoard it, and spend it on ourselves but it's so that we can take care of the needs of our family and then those beyond. I, Max Barnett, I stayed with him in his house a few couple years ago, and he's a, a man who's influenced a lot of people throughout the world, and he was describing how you know, God had allowed him to build a state, an estate, not millions, I would imagine. I don't know what the number is, but he, he has something, and he's, he has one son. He's, he just commented offhand. You know, I told... I told Brent that he has a brother named Jesus, and he's going to get a bunch of this. <laughs> and so we, we build an estate. We try to develop the ability to create wealth because we can bless a lot of people with that. That's the way it works in the world. So we can build and bless people based on that. That's, that's the heart. If you're going to please God, that's what you're aiming to do. I, 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 I aim to develop more than I need so I can share it with the people around me. Now, the questions come up. Should I build God's kingdom or go hard after work? Yes. Should I focus on my family or get after ministry? Yes. You should. This, this is the framework. God is over every area of our lives, every arena. And he wants us to strike a balance in these things and do whatever he tells us to do in each arena. Advancing God's kingdom is priority. It's what we learn in Matthew 6. That sets the framework. But if you are a homemaker, you are shaping the future by doing your part to raise the next generation. If you're following the Lord, you're to raise that generation, a godly generation who makes a difference in this world. If you raise your child to, to learn to love you, to learn to love the other people in the family, to learn to love others beyond the family, to learn to make a contribution to the needs of the people around them, and most importantly, if you raise them to love God, you are making a significant contribution to this world. That is very important. It's very close to God's heart. You find that in Scripture, Malachi 2.15, that's in your outline. Show your family how to invest in the kingdom. Lead them in that way. 
if you are someone who tends to get wrapped up in the projects or, or career or work and neglect your family, strike a balance. If, if you're someone who gets wrapped up in family and ignores the kingdom, get back in balance. God is over it all. He wants us to get after everything. Uh, listen to Colossians 3. And this applies to whatever our effort is, whatever we're doing, not just our work work, but any kind of work that we do. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we're not just doing what we're doing to please the boss. We have a higher boss, God himself. So as we work, as we study, as we do the things that are on our plate, as we walk through our to-do list, as we handle our chores, we're to work at it with all our heart. If you'll do that, you'll find God's blessing. We have lost the value of work. In, in our day, I read a, a, I've been reading through this book, and I read this week this guy was talking about the seven doors. You know, they had, they had this figured out. I, oh, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. Hey, that wasn't bad, was it? Okay, <laughs> sorry. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. Um, he, he mentioned that they were going to work in a, di- a diamond mine that they owned, and so you'd probably be singing and skipping along as well if you're going to work in your own diamond mine. But in contrast to that, we have bumper stickers that say, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. Yeah, it's, oh, this is such a drag. Many times we don't see the value in the work itself. It has value before God. It's important to God. We don't see value in doing our best in what we're doing right here and now. We only see value in what it's going to give us. We only see the privilege, but we ignore the responsibility. It's very important to understand the value of work before God. It's important to Him. The highest calling in life is to do what God has given you to do right now. If it's honorable work, that's the calling He's given you. If you're a businessman, do the best you can with the business you have. If you're a, a teacher, do your best with that. If, if you're a homemaker, you do your best. You, you set your heart on faithfulness. It, you, all of this, is, it can be done. Everything in life can be done in a way that honors him, as long as it's honorable to him. Uh, a final thing to build is a story to tell. You may be in a pressure-packed circumstance right now, and you're wondering, what do I do in this situation at home and at work? in ministry, financially. Do you want to know how to honor God in what you're doing? Be faithful. Trust Him. Obey Him. Stretch to do it. If you follow God, He's going to get you outside of your comfort zone. Stretch beyond your comfort zone to do what God's asking you to do. Get outside of yourself. Do it. If you'll do that, if you'll aim to build on what He's given you, You'll aim to increase what you have. Remember, it was a lazy and wicked servant that got punished. Then God will begin to build a story that you can tell to other people about his faithfulness and how he provides and how he does amazing things 
to help you do what you're setting your heart to do as you set your heart to serve him in the ways that he wants you to serve him. And you alone can tell that story best because it's your story. Psalm, Psalm 145.4 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Now, Cindy and I were telling the story of our house, how God provided our house again this week. We, we were renting. I never wanted to own a house. Remember, I have this problem with chores. <laughs> I mean, I really liked it when I could just, hey, call the landlord. There's a problem with the plumbing. Could just send somebody over. That, that's, there was some value in that for me. Um, but God provided our house in an amazing way. It's an amazing story how he provided. There's no way we could afford our house. As you, as you come to my house, if you ever do someday, um, that, that is, it's a great place to live. We are so grateful for it. But God did that because he decided that we needed it. It's been used for a lot of gatherings. It's been given us a sense of stability in the community. We're not just renters here. We have a house that gives us this people this sense that, oh, you know, they're going to be around for a while. They're not just fly by night. That really helps. As I followed God, he's done things I didn't anticipate to put me in a position to move things forward in the way that he wanted me to. He will do the same with you. He will be faithful in your life. I've seen God provide cars, groceries, energy, perspective, and whatever was needed to do the things that I needed to do for him. He will do the same for you. And one of his goals is he wants you to build your life in a way that honors him. And he wants you to develop a story to tell where he's the hero. He's the hero of the story. He's the one who's done this. That's how you honor him. That's how you bring glory to him. Psalm 71:18 says, Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Build that story. Let God build it. Let him write it. Let him be the hero of your life. There are some next steps that we could take I'd like to talk about. They're on the back of your connection card. I'd like to draw attention to the back of your connection card if you get that out and look over it. Uh, I've suggested some next steps that you could take as a result of hearing this message. The first one is to memorize 1 Corinthians 4.2, that faithfulness is what God wants from our lives, from us. Secondly, ask God to help me focus on faithfulness and stop comparing. Maybe you've been comparing, grumbling, and upset about maybe you're a one-talent person or a two-talent person. You want to be a 15-talent person. <laughs> uh, but you just, you know, God, this is a great thing. God doesn't expect you to do faithfulness with what you don't have. He only expects you to be faithful with what you do have, the opportunities and the things he's given you. And everybody can do that. It's an equal opportunity situation. We can all be faithful with the things God's pr provided for us. Now, circle one area to build. I listed some areas, uh, the kingdom, family, work, and estate. Uh, a story to tell. Read, read verses, those verses. Circle one of those and read the verses that go with them and write down the lessons. That could be another step. And then maybe for the first time, you're ready to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. On the right side of the connection card on the back, there's a place to let us know. 
I'm interested in information about beginning a relationship with Christ. We'd love to help you get questions answered if you have questions about things. Um, or you're ready to just go ahead and follow him and make him Lord and boss. Then let us know. We'd love to know that. If, if you'd bow your head and pray with me, that'd be great as the band come up. Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word. <clears throat> and I ask for the power to follow through. I ask for your help in being faithful to accomplish uh, what you've given us to do. And God, help us to, to just build on what you've provided in a way that honors you and to build in general, God. I know that it's easy to fall into survival mode, but God, help us to get beyond that. And God, I pray that as those of us who are here, you're in tough situations, as we set our heart to follow you, may you get us beyond survival mode so that we can experience your joy and happiness uh, that you intend. And even in, in survival mode, we can find it if we turn to you, God. So help us with this, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.